Well, good morning, Grace. Well, if we're here, that means Jesus didn't come back. Man, I was really hoping on that. Anyway, we're going through the Bible in the year, and it seems like, especially the last five weeks or so, the passage we were supposed to look at was prearranged before the beginning of time to look at. And here we are again. Look at this quote I found in, just as an introduction to what we'll be talking about today. In, in 410 AD, uh, Rome had just been sacked and fallen, and it looked like the end of civilization. It was all over, and it, it was for hundreds of years. And St. Augustine wrote this about the kingdom of God. He said, all earthly cities are vulnerable. Men build them and men destroy them. At the same time, there's the city of God, which men did not build and cannot destroy, which is everlasting. The city of God is everlasting. The kingdom of God is eternal. It is forever. And is expressed today in this epoch of time, in this dispensation, in his church. The church will not fail. It cannot fail. And we get to be part of that church. We are his bride. We are the body of Jesus Christ here on earth. It's a good time to be alive. What I want to do today is I want to look at the out, here's our outline, is first, it's like, where does the church fit in the outline of salvation history? How do we play a part in bringing the kingdom of God and God's right to rule onto, onto the planet? Second, I want us to look at the value of the church and what the Bible says about where the church ought to be in our lives. And then finally, I want to look at what is the church supposed to look like? Like, Based on what God wants the church to look, how does a church become the church the way it was meant to be? Okay, first, let's see how the church fits in the timeline of salvation history. In a single sentence, the the book in the Bible that speaks most about the church, it's almost like an owner's manual for the church. What it's supposed to be is in the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians, in a single sentence, it will show us the power and the supremacy and the importance of the church. Here it is, Ephesians 3, verse 10. Now, it's Yahweh's intent that now, through the church, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, and that means Yahweh has so- is sovereign king over all of creation, okay? That manifold wisdom should be made known to whom? To all the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm. It is God's intent now that the church is the means of showing angels and demons and all created things, the manifold wisdom of God, that he is sovereign, that he is in charge, that he has sovereign authority over those things. And the church is the body that does the works of the mind of God. It's the, pres- the manifold wisdom of God, the kingdom of God, is the presence of God in creation. And throughout the epics, God showed his presence in different ways. And so in the Adam and Eve, Jesus, or God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then later it says that God visited the patriarchs in, in their lives. And then and in, in the ne- next epoch of time, God brought his presence into the Holy of Holies. At first in uh, the, the tabernacle and then ultimately in the temple of Solomon, right? And then in, in the most grand and uh, explicit way of bringing his presence to creation, Jesus Christ comes God's presence on earth. His nickname, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what his place was to be. And now, now it is the church. 
It's pretty easy for us to like take it for granted, but it hasn't been that way. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that way for tens of thousands of years. When I was, when I was studying this this week, I could not get out of my head. Um, was John Fogarty, right? Creedence Clearwater Revival. Okay, in 84, he came out with a song, Put Me In Coach, right? A baseball song. Put me in coach, I want to play. <laughs> Look at me, I could be center field. And it's just this guy that's been sitting on the bench his whole life, and he's begging to just get a shot at, at, at a swing in the back. Come on, put me in coach, put me in coach. And if they, in the history, in the annals of the time, you had, to be, you had to be related to Abraham to get in this game. Okay, and very few of us are. I mean, now it's, now it's time for the mutts to come out, and we get to play a little bit of game. I'm sure there was a conversation with, I don't know, Gabriel and God is like, yeah, I don't know, everyone, even the Irish. And I mean, the Irish are just going to mess this up, don't do this, like even the Irish. And what did we bring to Christianity? The Christmas tree and the Easter bunny. That's true. And you're welcome. And I'm sorry. But that's, that's what happens when you let anyone play. But that's God's plan. It's like, let's let all the nations, all the ethnic groups, let's let everybody get into this thing. And we will all show the manifold wisdom of God in the church. Here's the church's uh, birth announcement. This is the first time the word church is used in the Bible. This is right after Jesus, or Peter's amazing confession that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all those promises from the years uh, gone by. And he says, you are the one. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. And here's Jesus' response to that. It's his announcement that there'll be a church, the birthday of a church coming soon. Matthew 16, verse 17 says, And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but rather the Father in heaven. He told you that. And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There must have been a hush in heaven when Jesus made this declaration. Think about that. All of the world, all authority has been given to the church. The keys to heaven are in our hands, the church. And look at the power. Look at the power that he says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. When the church is is submitted to the spirit of God and doing the will of God, the church has the power of stopping evil. When I was growing up, I never understood. I mean, there's a figure of speech uh, that when you wanted to make fun of somebody, you know, so you'd go after their mom, you would say, your mother wears army boots. Never understood how big of an insult that was. Still don't. But look, look what's happening here. We could say, Jesus, your bride wears army boots. She's a war bride, right? She, your, your, your bride wears army boots. He'd say, yeah, she does. She's going to need those boots to kick down the gates of hell. Yeah, my bride wears army boots. She does. Look at the value in this paragraph here. Look at the value of the church. Look at the possessive pronoun. Let's do grammar. I will build my church. Who owns the church? Who does the church belong to? Jesus Christ, my church. Look at the dowry that Jesus paid for this bride. In the book of Acts, uh, it, it's being spoken about how to be a leader in the church. And in the context of being a leader in the church, the writer there says, look, 
be careful what you're talking about here. This is not a glee club. This is not just a group of people getting together for fun or purpose. It is special. It's the bride. In Acts chapter 20, it says, keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherds of the church of God, and here it comes, that, he, that Jesus obtained with his blood, with the blood of his own son, that God obtained with the blood of his own son. What, did the, what was the price of the church? Jesus Christ gave his life for us, for the church. That's how special this is. There is not a thing on planet earth that has more value than the church. When God looks at planet earth, he sees that's it. There is no thing that is as exceptional in all of creation. It says in the Bible that Jesus is going to return. Why? To get his bride to church. That's how valuable it is. That's how important the church is. The more you study the doctrine of the church, the more it's going to influence your life. The more you make her a priority, the higher a commitment that you'll make to her. If you love Jesus, you're going to love her bride, his bride. Look, look at, it's so easy to just like translate what's going on with this relationship between Jesus and the church, you know, the groom and the bride with our lives, right? If, in, in my life, if, if, uh, the, over the years with Melinda, the more I've gotten to know her, the more reason I have to love her. It just keeps getting better and better. Um, another aspect of this is if you love me, you're going to love my wife. If you don't love my wife, you're not going to love me. We just, we're just connected that way. Uh, the, the priority of the church in, in the life of, of Jesus, the priority of the church or the, of Melinda in my life, she's first. Melinda's the first thing in my life. You know, outside my our relationship with God, of course, but, but right, if uh, a child or my, or my children do not come first, they don't come first, or, or work, or my reputation, or my hobbies, if any of those things become the first thing in my life, then Melinda should protest that, because she has a right to. She has, she's supposed to have that premier place. How much more Jesus when something like work or family or hobbies take a place of priority over his church. If you love Jesus, you're gonna love his church. And the more you study the church, if you really sit down and put some work into this, you're gonna see the power and the value and the potential the church has and how you get to play a part in that church in all of salvation history leading up to this epoch of time. It, it happened in my life. I'm a victim of this truth. Look, I didn't go to seminary, graduate school to be a Protestant pastor, okay? I was just like, I was debt-free and my girlfriend got married to someone else and I had some time. Maybe I could be a priest. That didn't work out. So I was in no man's land, but I was still out there getting an education. I wanted to just be an intelligent layperson someday, an informed one, not intelligent. That's another thing. That's not mine. So, uh, so I, then I took a class, it's called ecclesiology. I took a class on the doctrine of the church and, and it's unmatched value. And I started, I realized there's consequences to knowing these truths. And I sought out counselors at the school and I just thought, look, I've got, you know, this is the hand I got dealt. These are my abilities and, and some gifts that I have. And, and each one of them said, you need to try to see if they work in the local church because that's, that's the greatest expression of your gifts is to use those in the local church. So try that. 
Okay, and that caused another problem. It's like I'm really, con- I was having a re- great relationship with Melinda, but I kind of changed the rules. So I had to call her and say, hey, I might be a pastor. And that's not what you signed up for, I know, because being a pastor's wife is like even worse than being a coach's wife. You know, you, you got to have an outside like a rhino skin and your inside has to stay soft and tender. You got to take a punch and smile and then forgive people a bunch of seasons of loneliness. And I, I, before we got too serious, I, I asked her to move out to California and spend a lot of time with the pastor's wives because I wanted her to understand what she was getting get into if we were to continue. Because I was going to be a pastor and I needed her to want to be a pastor's wife. Point is this. We both studied the doctrine of the church and it changed our lives. It's supposed to change every life. It's supposed to. Because when you see the value of the church, the priority of the church in the life of Jesus Christ, when you see how it fits in in the kingdom of God being expressed on earth, the presence of God, you say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna make that a priority in my life. I wanna make that a value that suggests I know the way God thinks about his bride. Here's how you can express a priority. One would be just attendance. I mean, it just, attendance with great expectations. Like, look what it says in Hebrews. Uh, It's a familiar passage to some of you. Let us, let us think of ways to motivate one another of acts and good works, of, of, I mean, acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially on the day of his return, is, since the day of his return is drawing near. Let's not neglect getting together. Let's not neglect meeting regularly together because things happen when we get together. Like last week, last week, if you were here last week, it was transcendent. It was powerful. I think, you know, we had almost 500 people in the auditorium and we had some fun activities outside. We had kolaches and coffee and that sort of thing. But... There was, there was something to it. I, I think there, there's part of it is just psychological where it was like, man, that was as close to uh, before March that we've had in, in months. So we could like see 2019 from last week, right? But there was a lot more. It, it was sacramental in some respects. It, there was, there was, there was a, a physical and emotional and a spiritual event that took place when we all gathered as much as we could and then enjoyed a fellowship outside. People were weeping in here and out there because the church was gathered like it hadn't in, in six or seven months. When we, when we get together, when we get together with expectation that something magic, you know, it's crude, it's a, but you get the word, right? Something spiritual can take place. We go to church with this expectation of who can I care for? Who can I maybe pray for? Maybe an old friend I haven't seen in a week or a person I've never even met and when I can just see it in their eyes, I need to talk to them. There's a power in us gathered. We, like, listen, this is the doctrine of the church in a sentence. A congregation holds eternity in her hands. Eternity in our hands. That's true. That's powerful. Do everything you can to attend. Listen, gang, I know, you know, if your doctor says you're in the danger zone, then by all means, take all precautions. But, you know, if you can't come to church and it's simply because you don't want to wear a mask for one hour and nine minutes, 
I think, I think you should reconsider that value. I do. Because I don't think you should miss church simply because it's inconvenient. It's too valuable. It's too important. It, it, <laughs> and if you love Jesus, it's an expression of loving his bride. Maybe you should reconsider. Maybe. Here's another way. Not just attendance, but also volunteering in the church. It's using your gifts in a way expressed in the local congregation. And it doesn't matter what your gifts are in many respects. You could just help set up stuff. You could help greet people. You could help, in, in, if you're a good teacher, you could help teach. Whatever it is that God has given you, you get to use those in all of your life as an expression of giving back to him. But boy, in his church, in, his, in the bride, that's a great thing. He would love for you to do that. Uh, right now, the primary need that we have is in our children's ministry. If you want to serve in our children's ministry, you could text serve to this number. And here's what's fun about the children's ministry. It's, first of all, it's a ministry. It's not just like babysitting. It's not just childcare. You get to influence a generation and their parents in many respects. But what's great there is if we, had, if we just had 10 more workers, we could have 50 more children. 50 more children, how many more families could come if we just had 10 more workers? So would you consider maybe volunteering in our children's ministry? This church, this congregation, that's where the need is greatest. I think Brad will be outside. He's our children's pastor. He'll be outside after church and, and you know, you could talk to him or go onto the website, whatever. But here, here's, let me just summarize. The church is in a place right now during this dispensation that it is the center of salvation history. And we are to value that as the body of Christ, of being the hands and the heart and the expression, the words, doing the works of God. That's what we do, the body of Christ. And let me put it this way, okay? If King Solomon, with, with his <laughs> amazing palace that overlooked uh, the, the temple that he built, and inside that temple was the Holy of Holies, if he were here, he would say, I would give up that palace and that right. I would give that away for sure to serve and enjoy the local church. Because now, not like then, but now, this is how God shows his presence on earth, the church. And this is the expression of the manifold wisdom of God to all created, seen and unseen things. So Solomon would leave it all to play a part right here now. We should do that too. What is the church supposed to look like, right? You could, when you think about church, a lot of times it's very easy to go towards individual churches instead of, or a denomination. And that's because some of them, in many respects, aren't doing what the church is supposed to do. So the, what's great is the Bible kind of lists how does a church become part of the church? What are the attributes that it needs to do? How does it become strong and powerful and have the potential that she was always meant to have? Well, the birth of the church takes place in Pentecost. We're in Acts chapters 1 and 2, but particularly Acts chapter 2. And Pentecost, in, in that Old Testament uh, uh, feast, is the, the promise of the first fruits. And the first fruits are the Holy Spirit coming upon the people of God now that their hearts are made pure by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our imputed righteousness. So the Spirit of God comes down, boom, that's the birthday of the church. And on that day, Pentecost, 3,000 people joined the first church. And in the context of that storyline, 
that's where we get this description of what the church ought to do. This is the definition of the activities or attributes of, a, of the church. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2. Now, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. Um, we're going to go into that in details. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And then they broke bread in their house, in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what the church looks like. A church needs to do what that church is doing. And what it starts off is, it says, being continually devoted to these four things. A church, to be the church needs to be a teaching church. It needs to be a loving church. It needs to be a worshiping church. And it needs to be an evangelistic church. Let's look at those so that we can qualify maybe to be the church. The first phrase there is key. It says, continually devoted. And the reason it starts with that is, is this steadfast commitment to this, like, just focus on the game here, what you're supposed to do. It's a steadfast focus on these attributes because mission drift has probably been the single biggest disease that has killed the church over the years, individual churches and entire denominations. They lost, they just, they lost their point of reference. They let go of the North Star for some other reason, usually one of these four things, and, and they lost that, and then they're, they're adrift. They have, they have no place of reference anymore. So they had to, it's continually devoted. And the first thing they said is to the apostles, it needs to be a learning church. It says to the apostles' teaching. What that means for us today is the apostles' teaching is the Older Testament and the Newer Testament as well. The, the bigger part of that that we need to express is is the authority of the revealed will of God. Has God, the creator of the universe, revealed to his creation what the rules are, what is right and real and true? And the church is in submission to that. We would say, yes, that's the Holy Bible. And the, and the issue here is authority. We are under the Bible. The Bible's here, we're under here. The, the church is defined by the Bible, the Bible is not defined by the church. We don't define the Bible, the Bible defines us. It tells us what is right and real and true. Not culture, not our particular bias, not maybe what we'd like, you know, but what, what's been clearly taught. And if it has been clearly taught, then we just sometimes painfully, but dutifully follow that. And if you see some churches, you'll see, or denominations, you'll see they give this up for some particular reason, and that's where they go, that's, that's where they lose their church status. That's where they lose their power. The next one, the next attribute is the church is a loving church. It says, there's these definite articles each time, that's why I emphasize that. They were continually devoted to the fellowship. Not like a fellowship, not just fellowship, not just Donuts and coffee, although um, we're going to have donuts and coffee after church. But it's in church. It's part of church, so it's a different donuts and coffee. Uh, we're going to do that today. We're going to try that, see what happens. Uh, try to bring up donuts and coffee back. Yep. Yeah, baby. Let's go. Um, 
So the, the word here for fellowship is, some of you know this word in Greek, it's koinonia. And it, the word literally would translate common, common life, a common life. And we have this, the point is this, this spiritual common life that we all get to share because we have, we're in a family now. That's why we call each other brothers and sisters. And that's profound, friends, that we have a common family. We all have different colored skins in many respects, different backgrounds, all kinds of things. But you're my brother, you're my sister. We have so much in common. The other here is the, the idea of common lives is we share our very souls with one another. We give ourselves to one another. Beautiful quote stumbled onto, Ann Ortland says this about the church. Every congregation has a choice to be one of two things. You can choose to be a bag of marbles, single units that don't affect each other except in collision. <laughs> On Sunday morning, you can come or to come to go to, you can choose to come to go to, I'm sorry. Every Sunday morning, you can choose to come to church or just sleep in. Who really cares if 192 marbles show up or 193 marbles? Or you can choose to be a bag of grapes. The juices begin to mingle, and there is no way to extricate yourselves, uh, even if you tried. Each is part of all. Each is part of all. Let's be a bag of grapes, where we just share our lives all in common with one another. Love. A church has to be a loving church. Love is the hub attribute of these, just like courage is the hub virtue of the classic virtues. Justice is one of the classic virtues, but you can't, you can't, in, you can't be just unless you're courageous. That's why courage is so important in the virtues. Love, love is the most important of these because it holds the other ones together. If you get together and teach Bible doctrine and have, and have no love, that's not a church. That's a teaching center. We get together each week and we just worship, 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 and there's no love. That's not church. That's, that's a concert. And Jesus prays his last prayer on earth for us. When he prays for the church, he goes, I want, I want everybody to know about them their distinctive love for one another. They are unified in their love for one another. Koinonia, the fellowship, the love. And part of that, another word that's used in the paragraph in the description here is a word that's a lot like koinonia. It's koinonikos. And that word translates generous. They're everything, common, common life, common like stuff. Generosity is evidence that you are a victim of grace. When you've experienced unmerited favor, grace, you become a generous person. You, you, try to, you, it, you can't contain the grace that you've received and it just keeps spilling out. And so you give generously in forgiveness. You give generously help. You give generously your stuff because you don't care because you receive more than you can handle. It's coming out of you. This church is famous that way. One of the reasons I love being part of Grace. Not that I work here, but I love being here. I was here before I got employed here. And we've been, and so many of you are regular, generous givers to this church. And it is, it is fun to be part of something like that. Because, because of the collective generosity of the individuals, the whole grapes thing, we get to help so many people inside of our congregation with so many different ways of their life. We have assets and resources available because of the collective good, right? And then what I love a lot as well is when 
when I go outside the church. I love being able to offer things to my friends uh, you know, that don't go to church. And I'm just like, man, we've got a, an amazing marriage ministry for you. We have this relational connection ministry for you. We have a grief ministry for you. Having trouble with finances? We have some budget stuff for you. What can we do? How can we help you? I, you know, I, I've always wanted to be able to walk in at some place and say, you know, round for the house. You know, I'm buying. You see that on TV, or maybe you did that. I don't know, but everybody cheers. It's kind of fun, right? I, I couldn't do that unless there were maybe two or three people in the room. And they weren't drinkers, so that would help. But, you know, here's what happened just this, this year, okay? Grace Covenant Church walked onto the COVID floor of two different hospitals and said, I'm buying dinner for everybody. Everybody. We have paid for over 2,400 dinners for, for, you know, for workers in the COVID hospital wards. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. I'm buying around for everybody. Everybody's eating dinner tonight on Grace Covenant Church. I think we're going to start posting on our social media some of the, the thank you notes from those people. They are so grateful that we are a generous church. A church is a learning, it is loving, it is worshiping. It has two descriptions here. It says they participated in the breaking of the bread and the prayers. The breaking of the bread, more than likely, it means the Lord's table. It means that ordinance that might even be sacramental. We don't know. We don't even try to find out. We just like to enjoy the mystery of it. And we practice, it's one of the reasons we do the Lord's table here, because Jesus told us to, and it's part of the acts of a church. It's what distinguishes us from other things. And then, then it says the prayers. Luke is really kind of the way... Luke projects a value in his writing. He wrote the book of Luke, the biography of Jesus, and then the book of Acts. And he projects the power of prayer by connecting prayer and miracles. And so in the life of Jesus, he, he, he says, you know, Jesus prayed and then miracles happened. In the book of Acts, the church prayed and then miracles happened. That's how he's bringing it up here. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, the picture of prayer is that you're in a relationship. You're having a conversation. It's, it's not a relationship with your boss where you just get a bunch of to-do lists going on, right? I, projects done. And, and boy, that can be gross when you're part of a church that's just trying to stay busy or get everybody active. It's a relationship where just, like in times like these that are crazy, not just COVID, but all the other stuff that's going on around us, it's supposed to be, prayer is supposed to be the defining thing that says, what do we do, God? This is our first pandemic. Let's talk back and forth. Let's listen. It's not his first plague. It's ours. So a church needs to be dependent on a relationship of prayer with our king. The last attribute here is a church needs to be the church. It needs to be an evangelistic church. It, they added, and the Lord added to their number daily. A spirit-filled church never turns in. Boy, there's, there's mission drift. That happens a lot. A church that turns in and just says, yeah, we're going to ride this thing out. And I got to tell you, this happened to me. And, I, and maybe, maybe you can relate to this. In March, in March, right, when the, when the COVID thing was just getting started and, and was like, flatten the curve, everybody, play your part. And we did, you know, like anything and everything that needed to be done, we did those things. And what happened psychologically, maybe you too, but it, 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 I just kind of went me and mine. Me and mine. I'm going to make sure I'm safe and my family's safe. Circle the wagons, right? Ride the storm out. 
And maybe that was appropriate in the early months. But now, it's time to drop that. And I think you have to, at least for me, I have to like, decide, realize it happened, and then say, no more of this. No more of me and mine. I've got to turn out. It is dangerous to live as a church or individually, me and mine. It's dangerous to live turning in. Here's why. For, for, for us, right? It, we were not made to turn in. That's part of the curse. There's no, there were no mirrors in the Garden of Eden, and there are no mirrors in heaven. We're not made to look at, each, at ourselves all the time. Thank you, Zoom, you know? Seeing more of my face than a supermodel sees of their face in a whole career, right? And so it's not, it ain't pretty either. But, but it's, it's dangerous for us to turn in. We're not meant for that. We've got to turn back out. And then it's dangerous for other people. There, there are so many people in need right now of the church, of the church facing out. They are, people live in fear right now. There are a lot of people that are just, just, just thinking they're going to die or, or just living with way too much anxiety in their life. And they need people from the church to come in and say, hey, God is sovereign. He's ruling. It's all good. It's all good. Some people are alone like they never have been before. Can you imagine some of you, you'd have to go back a few years, but being single, alone, living by yourself in this context, they need the church they need the church to be facing out. We need to do or play our part here. And here's the other thing. I feel like God is bringing you and me people that are just right on the edge and they need the church, the body, the voice of the power of the Holy Spirit brought into their lives. Just ask. Honestly, you just ask people. You know, I used to say to people, how are you doing? And now I say, are you doing Okay. Are you doing okay? Just ask. Just ask. Ask a friend. Ask a stranger. Just ask. Look in people's eyes and say, God, help me hear their souls. <laughs> Pick up the phone. Put it on your calendar once a week. At least once a week, make a phone call. In your devotion time, say a prayer. Look, God, bring a face to my mind. Who do I need to call? Have a, have a, a, a tailgate party on your block or in your apartment. Go outside, circle the chairs. I just need to be with people. Be the church. You got to face out. You got to face out. Here's the outline. Prayer, care, share. That's how the church does evangelism because we leave the heavy lifting to Jesus and the spirit of God influencing people's souls. All we do is pray. Then we ask, how do we care? And then we share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the church looks like, friend. That's what it looks like. We're teaching community. We're rightly related to the authority of God. We're a loving community. We're related to each other appropriately, right? We're a worshiping community. We relate to the Lord Jesus, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and we're an evangelistic community. We're rightly related to those outside of the church. The church. We are the church. We are the church. In salvation history, thousands of years had gone by and then the birth in a new dispensation, in a new covenant, and we are here to display the manifold wisdom of God to all created things, all created things, visible and invisible. And I got one thing to say. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Amen. Right. There you go. There's one other player. Anybody else? <laughs> Come on. Throw me a bone. 
There is no thing on planet earth that has more value than the church. There is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more powerful. There is nothing, with more, nothing that has more brilliance or potential than the church. We got to be part of that church, right? We want to be directed by the Holy Spirit to do the acts of the Father in the name of the Son so God's manifold wisdom could be displayed to angels and demons and all those physical things. Put me in God. I'm ready to play. Let's pray. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ever ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in his church, in his bride, in his body, the glory be in in him, in his church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God, I lift up grace to you. You have protected and provided her for 50 years. Lord, I'd ask that this could be our moment. Lord, help us be a light on this hill. Help us continue to be committed to the authority of your, of your revelation to us. Let us love one another deeply, profoundly, sacrificially. Let us be a, a, a church that, that worships well and joyously and sometimes in, in grief. And I pray that we'd be an evangelistic church. Help us turn out. Lord, would your spirit speak to ours about about how to turn out? Would you bring to our minds the faces of people that your spirit has been working with so that they might have an ear that's listening? Or just a place in life where they, they just need help? Lord, I'd ask that we would be that church. It starts here. Let's go. We're ready to play. And all God's people said, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.